This program is brought to you by Stitcher Smart Radio. Download their free mobile app and use the promo code BEST during activation for a chance to win $100. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The David Pakman Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, Media Matters, The Colbert Report, The Tom Hartman Program, Le Show, and The Progressive with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Colbert Report. first quote. Many are grumbling that we don't have a perfect candidate. Just as many grumble, they can't find the perfect spouse. That was a powerful Republican fundraiser telling people to stop their whining about what group of people? Uh, the Republicans. Yes, specifically the Republicans who want to do what? Uh, run for president. Exactly right. The Republican presidential candidates, yes. So... You know that uplifting video project for bullied teens, it gets better. The GOP presidential candidates have their own version. It's called, Oh My God, It's Actually Getting Worse. <laughs> this week, Donald Trump said he wouldn't run for president, deciding to spend more time with his delusions of grandeur. And Mike Huckabee said God did not want him to run. True, apparently God needed him to come to the rapture and warm up the crowd with some stand-up. <laughs> And then Newt Gingrich, just days after launching his presidential campaign, uh, Mr. Gingrich went on Meet the Press and criticized the GOP plan to turn Medicare into a voucher program. And the Republican Party responded as if he had just announced he was leaving his latest wife to gay marry Ralph Nader. <laughs> he's done, they all said. He's toast. He's finished. So Newt backtracked in, in what we believe is the first ever pre-buttle in American politics. He attacked in advance anybody who dared to bring up in the future what he had said the day before. Wow. He said, quote, any ad which quotes what I said on Sunday is a falsehood, unquote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because who are you going to believe? Me or that lying bastard in the video I taped yesterday? <laughs> This came as an enormous surprise to everybody in the country except the two previous Mrs. Gingriches. Probably. <laughs> and in what may be the final nail in his coffin, uh, and this is again is true, uh, Mr. Gingrich's phone went off at a campaign event just this week in Iowa in his ringtone, Dancing Queen by ABBA. <laughs> it's over. He's finished. It might as well have been Waterloo. Anyway, Republicans are very disheartened by the events of the last week with all these people dropping out or, or, or self-destructing. Many Republican insiders are counting on former Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty to save them. How do you know when you're in trouble? When your only hope is Tim Pawlenty's charisma. Who is Tim Pawlenty? He's there you go. He's the former, former governor, governor of Minnesota. Former governor of Minnesota. I don't remember that name. I remember his Pawlenty. Yeah, that was actually his. He invented that. Yeah, that was his. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. 
Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Hey, real quick, uh, Michelle Bachman now, this is, this is just hilarious. She was being talked to by, or talked at, I don't even know the term, by George Stephanopoulos, who is a good friend of Lewis's. And it was brought up, who does Michelle Bachman compare herself to, mostly in the context of Sarah Palin. Why? Because they're both women. And Michelle Bachman is brilliant. She says she compares herself to who? The president. Take a listen. A lot of contenders, and I think there's no question in 2012, the Republicans will field a wide bench of contenders against President Obama, and I think the comparison will be very favorable. What is the one thing that sets you apart from Sarah Palin? Well, again, I compare myself to Barack Obama, not to any of the other Republican candidates. First of right. all, I want to say that I like Sarah Palin a lot. We're friends. Yeah, they're very friendly. So, you know, it's brilliant. It's great that Michelle Bachman compares herself to Barack Obama. I compare her to Barack Obama, too. Yeah, and it's a pretty sad comparison, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you know what? I, I tell people that I compare myself to Gandhi, but you know what? I actually did a side-by-side -side comparison. It's pretty bad. It's really pretty. It's not a good comparison that I want to be making day in and day mm -hmm. out because Gandhi has me beat on most fronts. So it's great that Michelle is making the comparison if it's an honest comparison, I can't imagine she'll want to continue making it too much longer. I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah. Well, she's comparing, she's comparing herself to Barack Obama to contrast herself with him. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the other issue. She, the comparison is such that she thinks she could be qualified to be president, but the comparison really should bring up the fact that she shouldn't be running at all. I believe she will. I think she's already scheduled to be somewhere in Iowa, which she states over and over again is her home state. And I, th I think it's pretty clear she will be running. I still don't think Sarah Palin will be running. And we just heard that Mitt Romney will be running. Mm -hmm. I'm glad Bachman's running. Uh, I still think Palin might. I just don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. Do you think Mitt Romney is going to have his record in Massachusetts stricken from the record? Oh, there's no question that Mitt Romney is going to have a lot of explaining to do about when he helped get the health care reform bill passed, Romney Care in Massachusetts, which is so similar in many ways to the Obama health care bill, which we, he opposed. We have a preview already of what the argument will be, Lewis, which is he's okay with that type of legislation if states decide to pass it. And when he was governor here in Massachusetts, his state decided to pass it. But what he's not in favor of is government is the, the federal government imposing it, which right. is really kind of incredible because, you know, if you really believe that it's, it's such a good plan that you would pass it as governor, are you really going to hold back health care for millions of people because you would prefer the states pass it when made for a variety of reasons, they may be in no condition to do so. It seems almost insulting. It's and, and the, the people who would suffer and have the lack of care as a result of Romney's decision, should all be furious, and none of them should be voting for Romney, even though, you know what, a lot of them will if he is the nominee. We'll see how he explains it uh, when he's confronted with that during debates. Yeah. Also, you know, Mitt Romney, I think the Republicans are trying to make it seem like supporting a plan, a specific health care plan that's, that the federal government would initiate, 
is socialist, but if the same plan is enacted by a single state, it's not socialist. It's not socialist as a federal government, but it makes the state government socialist. State socialism, right? So how can you be against the plan? There's something they don't even mention. Hold on, we're all talking over each other. Yeah, right. How could you be saying is this does not negate if if Mitt Romney thinks that this is a socialist plan, a federal socialist plan, Obamacare, say. It's socialist at any level. Exactly. Yeah, but there's no dialogue about socialism when it comes to state and local governments. There's only you know dialogue why? about socialism when it comes to the federal because government. Because of the Republican obsession with states' rights. So in other words, anything a state does by definition is great mm-hmm. and it's conservative. Yeah, because unless, of- you're, unless you're Vermont trying to pass single-payer single, uh, health care, right? Oh, yeah, they're commies. Absolutely. Yeah. Gold teeth and a curse for this town. Roll in my mouth. They're having the Republican primary in Iowa. is not too far away. Don't, the, the election is next year. Mm-hmm, like it's yeah. it's quick. Like Barack Obama's term is gone flying by, right? So anyway, so the guy there's one of the guys who's number three. Uh, some say he's number two. His name is Herman Cain. He's a chairman of the Godfather's Pizza, and uh, he's running for the Republican nomination for president. And he's again, let's keep in mind, he's number three in the polls. And the uh, so he's re- he's really up there. He's ahead of Sarah Palin in in the polls. Okay, so here uh, they asked him recently about how he felt about Muslims, and here's what he had to say. Would you be comfortable appointing a Muslim either in your cabinet or as a uh, federal judge? No, I will not. And here's why: there is this creeping attempt. There's this attempt to gradually ease. Sharia law and the Muslim faith into our government. It does not belong in our government. I said the role of Islam as as American is for those that believe in Islam to practice it and leave us alone. I get upset when the Muslims in this country, some of them, try to force their Sharia law onto the rest of us. Where are you seeing attempts to... uh, Okay, we'll stop it right there. We'll stop it right there. And then we're going to come back to it. But that's Herman Cain, and that's him being afraid of Sharia law. Mm. And he's sick and tired of the Muslims forcing their religious beliefs down our throats because... Jimmy, I can't get pork anywhere in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> when when was the last time a Christian ever tried to... Well, on the way over here, you know, Sharia law is just really all over the place now. Mm-hmm. I, I think he has a point. On the way over here, I, some people tried to stone me to death. <laughs> <laughs> And even ask them why. I mean, they, it's with Sharia law, they can just do that. You can just you do know? that. That's what the, the and, judge... And, and the point he's making is Sharia law is is creeping into our society more and more every day. I can't leave my house without running into Sharia law. And, I, and by the way, Sharia law was such a horrible sequel to L.A. law. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a single person watched that. I don't. Yeah. I, I didn't. I certainly yeah. did. A bunch oh, of, I, well, Harry Hamlin was just as good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> oh, they booked him. They nailed him. Yeah. Down. Oh, that's good. So here's some. So here's some more of his uh, Sharia law ranting. He, uh, I, I really can't get Sorbonne this. Day not as good in a burger. <laughs> <laughs> so they ask him uh, when, uh, if where is this hap- Where are people instituting this Sharia law? And here's what he said. Uh, established Sharia law. They've done it. Up, one judge did it up in uh, New Jersey and ruled in a case. Then last week we heard about it. Oh, just just New Jersey, by the way. Not uh, <laughs> I don't have the judge's name. I don't have the name of the court court no. case. I don't have the court district. I don't even have the city. No, the... I'm, it might have been an episode of The Sopranos. I'm not sure, but it happened in New Jersey. I think it was on The Sopranos. Are yeah. you sure it happened in New Jersey? Yeah, I called uh, my girlfriend who lives in Canada, and she double checked it for me. So in order to fight Sharia law, everybody has to get together and tell us vaguely in general where it might be happening. <laughs> And well, we'll try so, to, like, find out. But that's what's so good, so valuable about Fox mm. News is uh, any news organization can tell you what happened, but they'll tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and the one thing that the Sharia law people hate is if you be specific. So don't, oh, don't, don't just, do that. Somewhere in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And where else is it happening? Judge down in, uh, was it Texas? It, it might have been Texas where a judge said that <laughs> there was a dispute in a mosque. And... He was going to consider ecclesiastical law in his deliberations because of a dispute that was going on inside the mosque. And so my point is, the First Amendment guarantees people the freedom of expression relative to their religion. It does not guarantee them the opportunity to push their religion off on us. That's what the First Amendment says. God! Robert's passing a kidney stone. <laughs> See, Rob- I've heard this clip four times, and I still am furious! <laughs> And God forbid, I've never, you know, part of his point is I've never heard of a Christian trying to impose their... No, I'll bet you a dollar in God we trust uh, that... I mean, come on, it's... it's un- Yes. And, you know, but why should he... The thing is, he's a black guy, and there's no reason he should be sensitive to discriminating against total big groups right, of people, right. right? Should he? I mean, no. well, it's not like he has a... Mm-hmm. So that was Herman Cain. Repu- he might be the Republican mm. nominee. He's right now number three, and he yeah. will not appoint a Muslim. This has been Oh My God. Oh My God! Okay. Okay. (laughs) By by the way, he's also got this smug look on his face if people want to look at the clip, which is currently like a pandemic among Republicans of like, there, I said it. It wasn't PC, but I said it. I was brave enough to say it. It's like. No, you weren't brave enough to say it. You were stupid, stupid enough to, to say, say it. it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that, that, that like, uh, hmm. yes, there's a quote we played on the show before from Rush Limbaugh when he said, there, I said it. Uh, uh, when I was watching the NFL football game, it looked like the Bloods against the Crips. There, I said it. Yeah, there you said, there you said that racist thing you had in your <laughs> exactly. head. Mm-hmm. You said it. Okay. Maybe that should be another segment, too. And not brave, just stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there you go, Paul. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get on it. This is when. Some bullet head madness that he's saying this.
New York Magazine had a fascinating article about Roger Ailes, who runs Fox News Channel, and uh, his effect on the Republican Party. Now, he has advised many Republican presidents throughout his career, including Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush, who he apparently talks to on a regular basis, which is interesting, because you would think that uh, the senior Bush was a lot less conservative than Ailes, but apparently they're on very good terms. He's also advised Reagan. Uh, and now, obviously, uh, he is a huge player in the Republican Party because of the role that he has at Fox News Channel. Now, uh, he hired five different presidential contenders right after Obama's election. You know, you had Santorum, Gingrich. They called John Bolton a contender, which is a joke, but he's also in Fox News. And then, obviously, the biggest ones were Huckabee and Palin. And uh, now we find out that his role within the Republican Party is even larger. Uh, apparently, uh, according to one source at the uh, within the Republicans, the magazine quotes, uh, quote, every single candidate has consulted with Roger. So basically meaning they had to go and get his approval. Uh, and apparently they have not met his approval. John Huntsman, Mitch Daniels, and Mitt Romney, he did not find compelling, thought there were some uh, issues with all of them. According to a person familiar with uh, Ailes, he said, Quote, he finds flaws in every one of those guys. So uh, he's basically the kingmaker, right? Now, this is something that I have argued for a long time, uh, but apparently other people didn't recognize. But Fox News is a giant among conservative circles. If they push you forward, they're going to be able to give you millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in basically free advertising. If they keep saying, oh, Huckabee's great, Huckabee's great, as an example. Uh, Romney's got issues, he's a flip-flopper, oh, he has the same plan as uh, Obama did in health care, etc. I mean, could that decide an election? Absolutely. Now, I've told you in the past that conservative talk radio is in a world of trouble. Their ratings suck, they've never been that good, they were wildly exaggerated. Now, that is not true of Fox News. Their ratings are solid, they do make money, and they do have a lot of influence within actual conservative Republican voters. So if you're a person who's going to run the Republican primaries, would you go, would you have to go and get Roger's approval? As Sarah Palin would say, you betcha. Okay? So that makes a world of sense. I think, honestly, Roger Ailes is the most powerful guy in the country. Remember in 2000, he selected uh, George W. Bush's cousin to be the guy who would decide who won the election. And when the election was basically a tie, shockingly, Bush's cousin called it for George W. Bush prematurely, and then sent all the other news networks into a panic, and everybody called it for Bush, which was totally wrong, as we found out later. Gore won under every recount, except the one he requested, which was just Miami, uh, Broward, and Palm Counties. But that's absurd. Under any recount where all the votes were recounted in Florida, Gore won. But he, but he didn't become president. Why? Because of Fox News Channel and Roger Ailes. Now, for so long, he didn't get called on it, but magazine articles like this are incredibly helpful and for people to go, oh, okay, I guess so. And now, he hurt his brand a little bit here uh, because he, you know, the whole thing is fair and balanced, and the rest of the media, for many different reasons, go along with that, as if it's real. Remember when President Obama said he wouldn't do interviews with uh, Fox News for a while, or at least his handlers said that, and that lasted for what, a couple of weeks? not more than a couple of months. Of course, the Obama White House backed down right away, but part of the reason they did was because the rest of the media was like, how dare you? Fox News is a legitimate cable news station. How can you not do interviews with them? Now, why is the rest of the media so, you know, 
invested in protecting Fox News? One, because they, they, they don't think about it, they don't know anything, they didn't read the memos that were leaked from inside Fox News saying, you must protect the Republican position when the Democrats win, pretend that the terrorists are celebrating, etc., and the list goes on and on. The second reason is personal interest. They might work for Fox News one day. If you're on cable news, how many stations can you go to? Or maybe they already worked at Fox News, and they don't want to say, yeah, I work for a propaganda outfit. You think they're going to say that? Of course they're not going to say that. So that's why they do that. But now, in this article, uh, there is Chris Ruddy, the CEO of conservative magazine Newsmax. And he says, with Ailes going and hiring all these Republicans and being so clearly against Obama, quote, we're going into an election period, and he doesn't want Fox to be seen as a front for the Republican Party. But I got news for you. Too late. It's so obvious that he's a front for the Republican Party. And you know, also in the article, you know, he did, certainly by the end, he did not like Glenn Beck at all. And he thought the Tea Party stuff was out of control. So Roger Ailes, in some ways, is not really concerned about the conservative movement. He's much more concerned about the Republican Party. So if Glenn Beck is part of the conservative movement, but he's hurting the Republican Party, well, then he has no interest in Glenn Beck. I mean, this is a total propaganda outfit. And it's not ideological as much as it is a party apparatus. Okay. Now, uh, one other thing about uh, the elections is that he's worried to death about Obama for some reason. And he thinks that uh, Obama is you know, disastrous for the country. Because although he cares so much about the Republican Party, he is, of course, himself personally deeply conservative. But here's a devastating quote for Sarah Palin. One insider said, Roger's worried about the future of the country. He thinks the election of Obama is a disaster. He thinks Palin is an idiot. He thinks she's stupid. He helped boost her up. People like Sarah Palin haven't elevated the conservative movement. Well, it is hard to argue with that. <laughs> Fox News put out a statement today which was comical. They're like, no, we think Sarah Palin is very smart. Okay, and then they went on to say, whoever that confidant is, if Ailes finds him, believe me, he won't be a confidant anymore. You know, Fox News has a legendary PR department that is that goes after any leaks with great abandon. Okay, if you leak at Fox News, they come to find you, man, and they will pull all stops to find you. And believe me, Roger Ailes is <laughs> circling the wagons and searching the hallways, trying to find out who said this to the press because it's true. Okay. Now, when you get to how conservative he is, David Axelrod, in trying to broker a peace agreement between Fox News and the White House, went and secretly apparently met with uh, Roger Ailes that we now know about uh, to say, hey, look, how can we get beyond this dispute that we have back in 2009, the one I was just explaining? And Roger Ailes said, well, I don't know. Look, Obama is thinking of doing this national pol police force. It's a wild, crazy, kooky conspiracy theory. And Axelrod said, you're, you're not serious, are you? You don't really think that, do you? He's like, of course, I saw it in some clip. He said something about some force. And Axelrod's thinking, is this guy crazy? But I think, is Axelrod crazy? Of course Ailes thinks that. Have you never seen any of his quotes? Whenever he gets interviewed, remember he called NPR Nazis? Whenever he, he, you actually talk to him, he says the most outrageous things. So there's a lot of irony in him thinking that Beck is too wild. When the guy who hired him, Roger Ailes, is just as wild as he is. And he wants to subtly push the country more and more into that right-leaning direction without giving out the appearance that he is. The reason I like this article, the reason 
that uh, right now he's suffering credibility problems at Fox News is because people have finally begun to catch on that of course they're not fair and balanced. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. Last week, Rolling Stone magazine reported that Fox News chief Roger Ailes had invited New Jersey Governor Chris Christie to dinner at his compound and practically begged him to run for president. The talk continues about Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey. And even though he has said a gazillion times that he's not running for president, at least in 2012, a lot of people are still trying to convince him otherwise. I wonder if some of those people include Fox News anchors. I mean, he's been pretty emphatic. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could come up with a really great reason why he decided to change his mind. But those are pretty emphatic statements. In the meantime, what do you think? Do you think uh, Chris Christie should get in, or do you take him at his word that he is not going to run for president this time around? Email us friends at foxnews.com, or you can Twitter us at Fox and Friends. the 2012 Republican presidential race is heating up faster than a slice of Godfather's pizza. <laughs> Mostly because former Godfather's CEO, Herman Cain, has fired up his liberal burning oven. They love him in New Hampshire, but Iowa Republicans have eyes on Cain too, and not just because before they recognized him, they were about to call security. <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, Cain wowed an Iowa crowd by calling Obamacare a drain on our nation's resources and on our printer toner. Jim? Don't try to pass a 2,700-page bill, and even they didn't read it. Well, that's why I'm going to only allow small bills. Three pages. Yeah, three pages. Why does overhauling a $2.5 trillion industry and ensuring that every American has access to affordable health care have to be so complicated? It's not rocket science. Oh, and incidentally, rocket scientists, your proposal for the Mars mission, keep it short. Mostly pictures. And folks, when it comes to health care, I say we should listen to the man who made his fortune selling bacon cheeseburger pizza. Americans don't have time to read complex legislation. They're too busy getting their hearts restarted. <laughs> President Kane will not tolerate legislation longer than a pizza menu. Plus, every budget item will come with soup, salad, and unlimited breadsticks. The point is, the point is, anything over three pages is too long for our attention spans. I think I wah wah. Uh, I'm gonna get you! I'm gonna get you! Come on! Get out here! Come on! Where was I? Right, okay. No bill worth passing should be more than three pages. I'm looking at you, U.S. Constitution. Four pages? Hey, Founding Fathers, establish a more perfect union or get off the pot. And Herman Cain and I are both no fans of slavery, but the Emancipation Proclamation was five pages. How much ink does it take to say, you're free now, we'll fix segregation later? And folks, 
If short is good, shorter is better. So if anyone wants my vote, they must pledge to repeal and replace Obama's health care bill with this Republican health plan haiku. Blood in the urine. A tingling down the left arm. Walk it off, Grandma. There's never been a better time to check out Stitcher for your mobile device. When you activate their free app using the promo code BEST, you'll get instant access to thousands of podcasts streamed directly to you without syncing. You'll be entered automatically to win $100, and you'll help support Best of the Left at no cost to you. No reason not to check it out, so head to your preferred app market and download the free Stitcher app just named the best app ever for your iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, or Pre, and be sure to use the promo code BEST during activation. And John Nichols on the line with us, the Washington correspondent for The Nation magazine, reporting on the ground from Wisconsin. And, and not just in Wisconsin, but all around the Midwest, we're seeing these, these uh, uh, governors that basically trying to take apart organized labor, trying to take apart the social safety net, trying to, trying to dismember all these things. We had a caller in the last hour ask Senator Sanders in our Brunch with Bernie Hour, uh, asked the senator, you know, what are you all doing about what's going on out here in the states, and particularly the mid these midwestern states? Although it's happening, I mean, it's happening in New Jersey as well. Maine, it's happening, you know, all Florida. over. Yeah, yeah, Maine, Florida. Um, and uh, Senator Sanders' response was that he hoped that Eric Holder and the Justice Department were paying very close attention, uh, particularly with these new efforts to disenfranchise voters, because these might be violations, presumably, of the Civil Rights Act or the Voter Rights Act. Um, you know, from the 60s, uh, what is what is the status of, of you know, what, what is going on right now in, in, in these various states that we need to know about? Well, Tom, I think the most important thing to be conscious of is the federal government can do a lot on all sorts of levels. The fact of the matter is the federal government takes immense amounts of money from most of the states that you just mentioned. Most of those states are net givers to Washington, and that money goes to pay for wars that are unnecessary, for bailouts of big banks, and also for distributing money to often very Republican, very conservative states that don't give their fair share. Um, so there's a lot that the federal government can do economically on uh, Medicaid reimbursement and other things to really help to balance the budget of states and to end these, this false construct that says that the states are so broke they have to break unions. That's one side. The flip side of it is to maintain small-d democracy in the states, and that's something the federal government and a lot of other people should be looking at very seriously. The American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, which you've talked about a lot on your show, has a plan. That plan is to make radical changes in state voting laws. Remember, states are the, the folks who operate our elections, both federal and state and local, and to make radical changes in those laws so it's harder to get to the polls, uh, harder for people to participate, harder for people to register, harder for people to vote, and harder for people to have accountability once the votes are cast. We really need a great big pushback against that. And it is not at all unreasonable to suggest that the Senate Judiciary Committee and other committees should be investigating efforts to 
assault democracy. It, you know, coordinated efforts to prevent people from fully participating in the in the small. Now, the, the Republican talking point on this, John, and I've I've had this debate is. Well, I need a driver's license to get on an airplane. Why, you know, I have to have photo ID to get on an airplane. Why shouldn't I have to have photo ID to vote? And my response to that has been, I doubt more than 5, 10, 50, I don't know the numbers, yeah. but I'll bet it's less than 50% of the American population have ever flown on an airplane. And that urban dwellers and elderly people are not showing up at airports with their ID, and they shouldn't have to get an ID just to vote. Let me ask you a question, Tom. Do you have to show an ID to pay your taxes? <laughs> there you go. Thank if you. you. Don't, t- paying taxes is, is certainly considered to be a part of citizenship. It's a part of what we do in this society. Yeah. But the highest act of citizenship, the one that we should ought to presume that everyone should be engaged with, is voting. And so if you don't have to show an ID to pay your taxes, and frankly, if you don't have to show an ID, you know, if you get drafted, um, you know, they're, they're, they will take you. If right. you're on the list, yeah. uh, you certainly should not have to jump through hoops to cast a The vote. one ID, basically, that you have to show in order to pay your taxes, and you don't have to actually have to show it, you just have to know it, is your Social mm-hmm. Security number. That's right. And, and if people are going to repeat their Social Security number or ask to repeat it when they go vote, you know, look, the bottom line is these voter ID laws have been developed not merely to, to you know, make people jump through hoops at the polls, they're developed to make people confused and frightened and uncertain about voting, to think that it's a complicated and difficult process. So they this won't do it. game playing to deny yeah. democracy. There you go. Yeah, we're seeing the, uh, the Catherine Harris strategy here on steroids. Here is your next quote. If I have disappointed you, I will always be sorry. That was Governor Mitch Daniels of Indiana saying that just like a lot of other Republican politicians, he is not going to do what either. Oh, he's not going to run for president. He isn't going to run for president. He said so. That's very good. Yes. Republicans looking for a savior in the 2012 presidential election got two pieces of bad news this week. First, Mitch Daniels said he would not run. And second, former Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty said he would. <laughs> Pawlenty's campaign did not start out well. This is true. His, uh, it's kind of an omen. His own hometown paper in St. Paul put the news of his official announcement on the obit page. <laughs> his slogan is, it's spelled Pawlenty. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to Daniels, Jeb Bush and Paul Ryan also said they wouldn't be running. But just as GOP leaders were despairing that no one would emerge to save them, Sarah Palin came back, saying she had, quote, the fire in her belly. There she was on Fox News talking about something in her belly that was not this time another child. (laughs) It's like 
We thought you was gone. It's one of those, it's like one of those action movies like Alien in which you think the villain is defeated, but then Sarah Palin bursts right through Tim Pawlenty's chest. <laughs> which, by the way, would be the only way you can make Tim Pawlenty interesting. In addition, in addition to talking about her belly fire, Ms. Palin is planning to tour the country in a large bus, and she is releasing a new documentary this spring about her political career called Undefeated. That's the title. That's actually, okay, that's the short version. The full title is Undefeated Except for That One Time. But she's got good numbers, at least according to the Drudge Report I read today. Um, Mitt Romney's at like 17%, and she's behind him at 15%. But they're the only two that comes to like 32%. (laughs) 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 They don't win if nobody else runs. And what are the... A shoe came in at 12%. (laughs) Here we go. A shoe! (laughs) It was, however, a right shoe, which was Uh, important. Absolutely. (laughs) Republican primary. And not a loafer. (laughs) And not not a flip-flop. No. It's going to be a heel. Oh, yeah. Some new shoes on and suddenly everything's right I said, hey, I put some new shoes on and everybody's smiling It's so inviting This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. Usually, Fox News helps the Republican Party in subtle ways, such as repeating an effective talking point throughout the day to get the message out. Last night, however, their advice was a bit more direct. If the Republicans want to defeat President Obama, they have to explain him to the country. Because I don't believe most of the country understands the president and how he is driven by one thing, one thing only, and that is social justice. Above all else, that's what he wants. And as Shelby Steele, the, the, the conservative scholar from California, put it, tell the American people that we, the Republicans, believe in you and Barack Obama believes in Yeah, but I think government. you're going to have to scare the American people a little bit. Exactly. Scare them. Just like Fox News does every day. Caught in a turmoil of criticism after criticizing Representative Paul Ryan's budget proposal on Meet the Press last Sunday, Republican presidential candidate Newt Gingrich this week called to apologize to Ryan after apologizing to several other people along the way. Gingrich spokesman Rick Tyler said his boss apologized for his inartful way of expressing his point. Earlier uh, in the week, Gingrich had described his language on Meet the Press where He appeared to call Ryan's plan right-wing social engineering as compared to the Obama administration's uh, medical care plan, left-wing social engineering. Uh, He described his language as inelegant. Inelegant. You know, not not fit for nighttime, maybe for 5 o'clock, maybe for cocktail. The former speaker said it was a mistake to make the voucher system uh, advocated by Ryan to replace Medicare, mandatory, and called it politically undoable. He set off a storm of criticism that continued unabated for the next 48 hours. The criticism, which ranged from the Wall Street Journal to the National Review, 
you know, the left-wing media, threatened to break Gingrich's not yet, uh, to knock Gingrich's not yet one-week-old campaign off track just as it was getting started. The damage was exacerbated by the fact that even as he reiterated he would repeal the Obama health care plan, Gingrich maintained Ryan's budget was too politically toxic to pass into law. Tyler, the spokesman, said Gingrich wasn't backing off that criticism, but said the candidate wanted to work with Ryan to devise a plan that would be popular with the public. The co former congressman, that is to say Gingrich, made the call while in Minneapolis for an event. He said the two men had exchanged emails beforehand. I hope that's all they exchanged. I don't think there are any hard feelings between them, said the spokesperson. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, given the spate of apologizing, Newt did. There's probably uh, some strategizing going on in a conference call. Maybe this very day. Now joining your conference call... Uh, Newt Gingrich. Hi, Newt. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, Charmin Late. I was rereading Deming and Drucker. Some transformative insights on an organization in flux, which I guess is, is what we are. Mr. Speaker, I, I think what's in flux are your chances to survive another month in this campaign, to be frank. I think the organization's fine. Mark, this is, this is a bizarre and obscene observation. It, it, it calls into question your very commitment to principles of free market Americanism and revives my old doubts about you as an unreconstructed Trotskyist with a Euro-socialist worldview. <laughs> Sir, I don't need to remind you. We, we met when I was president of the Idaho Young Republicans. I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry. I'm trying to amp up my hostility in the face of gotcha questioning. I think it just got uh, misdirected at one of my trusted advisors. Thanks. This is exactly what Toffler warns against. Sir, sir, I've got to answer about 500 press inquiries in the next half hour, all of them about the supposed doomed nature of the candidacy. Maybe we can delay the futurist seminar until we're actually in the future. Sir, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe I can cut through here with a more pragmatic question. Mm -hmm. do, we, uh, do we have any more apologies uh, we need to make, or are we going to make week two less... I don't know, uh, apologetic. Well, well, to me personally, I think once you apologize to Congressman Ryan, you've kind of maxed out on public expressions of sorrow. I mean, I, I think any more of this would, you know, start to creep people out, especially independent voters who are notoriously creep-outable. Hmm. It's interesting because uh, the old Protestant me, I think, would have concurred with you, Mark. Uh, but what I think Lissa and Father Bob have both taught me is that the temporary voters who doubts about my temperament are those most profoundly moved by public acts of contrition. Well, it is the best possible way to balance an increase in hostility towards the media, if that's where you're going with that. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, you attack David Gregory and then you apologize him uh, or to his audience or to whomever. The red meat people are happy and the white meat with no sauce people are happy too. Yeah, I, I just think, and I know this is getting into your area, Paulette, i.e. messaging, but strategically, I think we risk that the message people get from this campaign is not a robust attack on the Obama presidency, but just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, I don't think any of us envisioned this uh, as a strategic option at the start of the campaign way back last month. But the essence of American exceptionalism is a pragmatic streak interlaced with a rock-solid commitment to a set of philosophical values. And? No, I just wanted to get that down the way I'm going to 
say it when I go on with Rush. Are you apologizing to Rush? If so, I've got to let Drudge know. That's a guaranteed siren. You know, I'm, I'm going to be the Turk in the punch bowl on this, folks. I think in a campaign that's based on repositioning a familiar face, nothing says new Newt better than a fusillade of apologetics. The old Newt never apologized now, did he? <laughs> well, I think, Phil, that's a very... Very safe assumption. I think you could argue that not apologizing ever was one of the signature characteristics of the old Newt. Yeah, you know, I, I suppose what I'm saying is I, I know the Newt persona has already executed maybe a 120-degree turn. Do we really want to do a full 180? Maybe, you know, for the toughness, we want to... Well, uh, look, Mark, the, the hostile rhetoric still takes care of that, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'm still planning to accuse Obama of an Indonesian Muslim post-Dutch occupation worldview. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Are we walking back post-colonial Kenyan worldview because I've got to brief some people? No, 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 no. I, I think just broadening the indictment to include the parent he actually lived with just to put it on an even stronger basis of partial fact. But I have to say, folks, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to like apologizing. You know, I think the people who think this hurt our campaign are dead wrong. I think we found my sweet spot and we weren't even looking. Well, you're not going to go looking for things oh. to apologize for, oh. are you? Because if so, I've got a ton of material. You know, I, I'm going to suggest that we declare victory on the apology front and move on for now. All right, but I do think the speaker could still afford to apologize to David Gregory for saying those softball questions on Meet the Press were actually meatballs, but uh, all right. Well, if we're good with this, I'm going to give Dennis Prager a heads up. All right, folks, I'm, uh, I'm fine with this direction, and if I made this process drag on unnecessarily, I'm deeply apologetic. No, right. Damn, that feels good. You know, Mark, you're right to keep this under control before I, before I start calling up my ex-wives. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I've heard several people on talk radio and friends in casual conversation assert that the president's taking of bin Laden's scalp will assure him re-election in 2012. Don't count on it. Before this event, Obama's poll numbers were in the low to mid-40s, which is very low, and a huge percentage of Americans thought the country was on the wrong track. These numbers had nothing to do with bin Laden still being on the loose. Instead, they had everything to do with the economy being in terrible shape and unemployment being stubbornly high and gas prices even higher. While Obama did get a bounce the past couple of days, the gravity of the economy is guaranteed to bring that bounce down. Before bin Laden's assassination, Obama was way behind in several states he carried in 2008, including Florida, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Virginia, and Indiana. And he's neck and neck in Ohio and Wisconsin. Aside from the economy, Obama is plagued by intense hostility on the right and a lack of enthusiasm on the left. The demographic groups that put him over the top last time, African Americans, Latinos, labor, progressives, and young people, aren't thrilled with his record. Last time, they came out to make history. 
This time, that impetus is no longer there, and that spells trouble for the president. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able. As anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. If Mitt Romney does get the nomination, I will support him because he's got a built-in selling point, and it's the subject of tonight's word. The business end. Folks, the economy is tanking, and everybody knows why. Barack Obama has fewer people of private sector business experience in his cabinet than any, any president in a hundred years. None. Th- this president is the most anti-business president we've ever had. I think he and those who surround him to advise him do not know how to run a business. Yes, a president needs to be a good businessman. Look at Lincoln. He had no business experience. And when he emancipated the slaves, unemployment shot through the roof. <laughs> Now, Mitt, Mitt Romney has the business experience to lead us out of the Obama session before it becomes a full-blown Obama-pression. And we all end up Jabamalous, living in the street. Obama. Jim? I've helped turn around businesses in trouble. Uh, I also, as you know, took over the Olympics when they were in trouble and helped get them back on track. What I think people see him as is a guy who's been a can-do executive. He turned around the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. Mitt Romney, business legend, rescued the Olympics. And those Salt Lake City Winter Olympics are still going strong today. (laughs) But Romney's real claim to business fame is founding a private equity company called Bain Capital. We watch Mitt. My work led me to become very deeply involved in in helping other businesses, from startups to large companies that were going through tough times. Sometimes I was successful, and we were able to help create jobs. Other times I wasn't. Refreshing honesty. There's your campaign slogan, Romney 2012, sometimes good. You see, Romney... Romney made a mitload of cash using what's known as a leveraged buyout. He'd buy a company with money borrowed against their assets, groom them to be sold off, and in the interim, collect huge management fees. Once Mitt had control of the company, he'd cut frivolous spending like jobs, workers, employees, and jobs. Just like America's sweetheart, Gordon Gecko. Why do you need to wreck this company? Because it's wreckable, all right? If these people lose their jobs, they got nowhere to go. My father has worked there for 24 years. I gave him my word. It's all about bucks, kid. The rest is conversation. Captain.
capitalism at its finest. Like many Americans, when I saw that movie, I thought, I wish that guy was president. <laughs> and eight years later, I am the president. Aren't you ready for another President Gecko? Because Mitt Romney knows just how to trim the fat. He rescued businesses like Dade Baring, Stage Stories, American Patent Paper, and GS Industries. Then his company sold them for a profit of $578 million, after which all of those firms declared bankruptcy. Which sounds bad, but don't worry, almost no one worked there anymore. Besides, a businessman can't be weighed down with a bleeding heart. As one former Bain employee put it, it was very clinical, like a doctor. When the patient is dead, you just move on to the next patient. See, Mitt Romney is like a doctor. And folks, and folks, President Mitt would know how to treat America's sick economy. First of all, 300 million Americans, Romney would have to lay some people off. There's gotta be some redundancies. Do we really need Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling? <laughs> Besides, there are plenty of folks in Mexico willing to be American for pennies on the dollar. And really, isn't two Dakotas a little lavish? I can't tell them apart. We should sell one. Then, Romney, Romney can just take Iowa, Idaho, and Ohio and consolidate them into one vowel-rich state, Iohatawa. And, and whatever's left, Romney will chop up and repackage as bundled freedom derivatives. Then he'll just short sell everything west of the Mississippi, wait for the markets to tank, and buy it back for a song. Now, some little people, some little people out there might get hurt, but that's how Wall Street does business. You squeeze out maximum value for your shareholders. And Mitt Romney can guarantee it will work. Sometimes I was successful, other times I wasn't. Or maybe it won't. But one thing we know, it always seemed to work out for Mitt Romney. Everybody knows that John Stewart went on uh, Bill O'Reilly's program. They had a debate over Common. We covered that. And uh, now some people are making a big deal out of the fact that John Stewart said that uh, in some circumstances he might not vote for President Obama. To which I say, of course. I love like people are surprised. Like, oh, really? Like why? Aren't you supposed to be on the Democrat side or the left side? Well, it depends on the situation. And there are some things that you know that we. I don't think he did right. Apparently, John Stewart thinks. He didn't do right. 
And it depends on who his opponent is. Does that mean that we would vote for one of the current Republicans? I can't speak for John Stewart. I know I wouldn't vote for anybody in a primary right now. Those Republicans are crazy. Uh, well, you know, John Huntsman's an interesting character. Look, it doesn't mean you're going to vote for the guy, right? But uh, am I open-minded about it? Absolutely, because I want to see who's the best. And I'm not on Team Democrat or Republican, and I was glad to see John Stewart isn't either. But what I found more interesting is what Stewart said about uh, whether he was disappointed with uh, President Obama. So let's watch that together. You voted for him. Um, has he lived I up to your expectations? No. Yes, but I but now I don't know if that's but I don't know if my expectations were fair to that individual. I believed, I believed that we were at a more transformative time, and uh, so. But I, I I've come to respect a certain uh, steadiness of his craft that I don't necessarily agree with. I think uh, he, he had an opportunity more in the Reagan mold to be a little bit more of a bully pulpit president mm -hmm. than uh, what he appears to be, which is more of a. Uh, Tip O'Neill president, like a legislative uh, uh, worker, a, more of a, a someone who understands a bureaucratic method as opposed to something that's more, uh, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Ronald okay. Reagan type. I didn't understand a word of that, but it sounded really good. Yeah, you know, it's funny that O'Reilly didn't understand. I mean, I guess he's partly kidding, right? But I, I thought Stewart, as usual, nailed it. I, I think that's exactly right. That's the issue that I have with the president. And, you know, to clarify for Bill O'Reilly, what he's talking about is Reagan came in with big ideas and said, we're going to change the way things are. And he took the top tax rate as an example from 70% to 1.28%. Now, that got moved back up at some point, not anywhere near 70%, but that was transformative. He came in and said, we're going to limit the size of government. We're going to change the direction that we're going in. Whereas Tip O'Neill, he's saying it was a politician who made compromises, who negotiated, and got things done, but, but not in a transformative way, if that's fair to Tip O'Neill. It was just more like change I could kind of muster up. And, and unfortunately, that's what we got with President Obama. I certainly feel that way. Uh, you know, and and I, every day I ask myself if my expectations uh, were too high, and every day I come up with no. He told us change. Big change, change in how we do things, change in the government. This isn't fundamental change. This is nickel and dime stuff. We got a little bit better health care. The financial reform was, I mean, if it was better, it was a tiny bit better. But overall, the drug companies got the same deal they got under Bush. You know, uh, the lobbyists are still strong. President Obama's still giving away drilling rights. And the list goes on and on. It doesn't mean he's a total, you know, failure by any stretch of the imagination. He did a lot of great things. Got two progressive Supreme Court justices. You got Osama bin Laden captured, dead, etc. I mean, the list goes on. Lily Ledbetter, uh, for, you know, fair pay for uh, women. Uh, but is it the change that we thought we were going to get and we were promised in the campaign? I don't think it is. And I'm encouraged to see that Jon Stewart uh, agrees, even if it confuses Bill O'Reilly. I don't get it. Which team are you on? Which team are you on? You know what team we're on? We're on Team America. This is Max calling in from the People's Republic of Berkeley, California. I was just listening to your Class War episode, and uh, 
Uh, you know, I've been thinking about a lot of the, the voicemails uh, that have been coming in recently. Uh, and even, you know, even some of the sentiments uh, on the shows that have been uh, sampled, for lack of a better word. And they all seem to think that if we would just organize enough people, that we would be able to win these debates in national and state-level politics. Well, not, not to be a fundamentalist or anything, but, you know, I recently picked up the, uh, the Federalist Papers written by uh, the more economically uh, conservative for their time founding fathers and they make abundantly clear that the rich are always to have a place in the economy they're always to have a place in politics and that they're supposed to be the stewards for the rest of the citizenry i just don't think that's right and not only do i not think that's right i think it's counterproductive for us to try to raise money and and develop political influence the same way that the ruling class does uh the light for the working class, the way that we have fought traditionally, is through the unions. The unions are fighting for their lives right now, but there is a silver lining to this. Um, Richard Trumka, the AFL-CIO head, has recently called for an independent labor party, a third party, uh, apart from the two parties that exist, the two major parties that exist, rather. If we had a party that was in the interest of labor, if we had organizations that encouraged workers to strike as opposed to just waiting for contracts, if we could use strikes to our advantage, that's where our real power holds. That's the only nonviolent way that the working class is going to get their way in this system. I don't think that anybody that wants to work within the system is stupid or ill-intentioned or anything like that. But I do think that we're fighting an uphill battle and that, unfortunately, we're pissing in the wind trying to outspend the billionaires in our democracy. And I use the word democracy very lightly. Jay, thanks for listening. Everyone out there, keep supporting this guy. You're doing a vital service. Thanks. Hey, Jay, my name is Bob. I'm calling from upstate New York, New Hartford, New York. I very much enjoy your show. One of your occasional contributors is a man whose name I cannot recall, but he, he signs off as so-and-so from death row. He sounds quite intelligent. His comments are quite uh, cogent. But if this guy is really a convicted murderer, I don't want to hear him. I don't have any, I don't have any interest in what he believes or what he has to say. Uh, now, I realize it's your radio show. You can put anybody you want on, on the air. And it's, there's free speech in the United States. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, let this guy talk to himself in his cell. Uh, if he killed a murderer, I have no interest in hearing what he has to say. That's it. Thank you. Hey Jay, this is Matt in South Carolina, and this is a message for all those that are commenting on your choice of sources. There's one thing that everyone needs to know. All you do when you say, don't play that show, is draw more attention to it. Whether the source is some guy perpetuating that self-hating Jewish stereotype, some guy on death row, or a veganist know-it-all, what the message is what counts. If you have a problem with people behind the message, talk to them. If you have a problem with why the clip was in the show, 
then talk to Jay. I mean, but because of all of this, the leaders of the Godless Maniacs have instructed their minions to fill Jay's voicemail line, all because one guy commented on consistency of a source. Thanks. Now, Jay, I love the show. Thanks for letting our voices be heard, and I hope this flood of voicemails doesn't endanger the line. And once again, thank you for literally putting together the best of the left. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Now, things are moving quickly. Uh, Netroots Nation is practically upon us. Uh, coming up so quickly, in fact, that I'm uh, hopping on a train tomorrow, and uh, so I have precious little time to talk about the listener meetup that is happening uh, as part of the Netroots Nation festivities that's happening Thursday, June 16th. So if you are among the incredibly small percentage of listeners who will not only hear this before June 16th, but uh, it will also either be at Netroots or just be in the neighborhood uh, on, on the evening of June 16th, Uh, I want to let you know about the listener meetup that's happening uh, and all the big names who are coming. It's getting bigger and better all the time. So besides myself, of course, which is very exciting uh, in and of itself, there is also Sam Cedar and David Pakman, who you know well uh, from this show, as well as Tom Hartman. We just got confirmation that Tom Hartman is going to show up and and hang out with us. And uh, if you're not familiar with him, he is, you know, he probably has the largest terrestrial radio audience of any liberal broadcaster, you know, in America. So that's very exciting. Uh, I, we have every reason to believe that the the crowd will be, you know, big and healthy, and um, and it'll be lots of fun had by all. Secondly, today, I wanted to add a few more details to something I mentioned in the previous episode. Uh, I am putting together, and not just for myself, but in partnership with the the David Pakman Show and other producers, uh, we're putting together a brand new way of, uh, you know, allowing in an organized fashion for listeners exactly like you to volunteer their time. I'm imagining about 20 minutes a week somewhere in that neighborhood to, uh, you know, volunteering their time to help promote progressive uh, media in and doing it in kind of an organized way. So um, if you're interested in that, just shoot me an email, j at bestoftheleft.com or get in touch on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, whatever. Uh, there are plenty of ways to do it. Um, and ways to contact the show are, uh, of course, available at bestoftheleft.com. And just say, hey, I'm interested. Give me some more details. And uh, so, as I say, we definitely want this to be kind of an organized uh, team. We um, like we want you to feel like you're not just a uh, you know mindless foot soldier, but uh, we're going to be holding conference calls with the volunteers, so you can uh, chat with uh, the producers and kind of give feedback or you know your own thoughts and advice on how best to spread the good word. I mean, obviously, we we do the shows we do because we think it's important to get this news out. You probably listen to these shows because you think it's important to receive the news and you would like for more people to, to hear it. Uh, that's exactly what we're talking about. So, you know, not only for our own self-interest in growing our shows as, as we all need to, but obviously the fundamental reason of why we do this is to reach more people and get the news out to more people. So if you want to be a part of helping grow progressive media and uh, and as I said, do it in a way that, um, you know, we really hope that you will feel kind of connected 
with uh, with what we're doing and uh, included on the discussions and you know brought in on conference calls and uh, and and you know connected with us through you know like an email listserv where we can communicate. Uh, that's what we're looking to put together. So as I said, if you're interested in that sort of program, uh, you know it doesn't matter where you live or who you are or if you can donate, you know, five minutes a week or 20 minutes a week or, you know, hours a week, whatever, you know, whatever fits for you, we're happy to take it. So uh, as I said, just shoot me an email, j at bestoftheleft.com, and I'll get you all set up with uh, more details as I have them. So that's it for today. I want to thank, as I am getting in a much better habit of doing, I want to thank the volunteers who do a kick-ass job helping me behind the scenes, Mike, Colette, Todd, Joe, Laura, and Lauren, and uh, and then the members of the show, of course, who uh, who, <laughs> who support the show in an absolutely fundamental way, Diane M., who signed up for a monthly leftist membership back on October 17th. And uh, Joel P., who signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on September 14th. So both Joel and Diane um, and people like them are absolutely uh, fundamentally the reason why I can do the show the way I do it. And and all of you get as many – you know, as many episodes per month as you do is because members have signed up to support the show. If uh, if you're capable of signing up for membership, I would sincerely appreciate it. They are, you know, $5 a month uh, or even less if you sign up for, you know, a year in advance. Hopefully, 5 bucks a month isn't a lot of money to you. And if it's not, um, consider supporting a show like this because I absolutely appreciate every single member uh, who, sign, who signs up and, and supports the show. If you can't sign up for a membership, of course you can still support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. You can stay tuned into the show on Facebook and Twitter, which will also help us spread the word online. You can donate your Twitter account to us at donateyouraccount.com slash bestoftheleft. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought lines black and white, so took picture that wasn't right. Burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fond flower to a friend It's not what I'm like Hi, Jay. This is Valentina from Miami, Florida. And I was calling to respond to the um, last couple of calls you've had about Citizen Radio. Um, I've been listening to Citizen Radio since before they were Citizen Radio, since they were drunken politics years ago. Um, And they are so much more than just a political podcast. They're a political comedy podcast. They are amazingly funny and so much of what they say is just easier to swallow 
with their jokes. And granted, sometimes they're a little over the top, but that's just Jamie and that's Alice and that's just how they are. Their stance on everything is clear and when they make a mistake, they correct it. They own up to their mistakes and they know they don't know it all. They're human and they acknowledge their shortcomings. But to claim that their stance on abortion um, is, is, you know, flip-flops, it's not true. It's consistent. They're totally pro-choice. Not necessarily one way or another. They're just for a woman's right to choose her future and how she wants her body to be used to procreate or not. It's entirely up to the woman. And they're all about that. They're... They're vegan. I'm vegan. Why the fuck would they not talk about being vegan? It's a huge part of what we are, what the show is, who their listeners listeners are. And you don't have to listen to them. It's not for everybody. If it was for everybody, then they would be on MSNBC or... Fuck, what the fuck do I know? They would be on the network. But they're not. They're for the blacks, the gays, the lesbians, the vegans, transgender, they appeal to those who don't have an outlet in the mainstream media. And that's why we love them and we listen to them. So a godless maniac is a very specific kind of person and is a good person. So whoever doesn't want to listen to them, fine. We don't want you to listen to them. Bye. (laughs) Have a great day. Keep the show awesome. And don't listen to anybody. What you do is the right thing to do. Bye. Hey, Tay. This is Dawn in Wisconsin. I love your show. And this is actually regarding Citizen Radio. I just wanted to throw in my opinion. Um, I do listen to it a lot, although I haven't lately. So maybe things are different now, but I kind of lose interest with it because my only gripe is that they take so long to get to the real meat of whatever their subject is going to be. I mean, they just yak, yak, yak about their personal lives for like 30 to 45 minutes before they finally get to the interesting stuff, the newsworthy stuff. So I like it that they're vegans and I like what they have to say. I just wish they would say it a little bit sooner. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Jay, Chuck in Salt Lake City. Another great show, man. Thanks so much. Um, I called to uh, give my two cents on uh, the Citizen Radio issue. Um, I think the the one caller at the end of the show last week was dead wrong. I don't think people like myself don't like Citizen Radio because we don't get sarcasm. We probably wouldn't get half of your show if, uh, if we didn't get sarcasm. Uh, because you play a lot of Citizen Radio, Steve Colbert, you know. Uh, I don't think that's the problem. Um, the problem is, uh, contrary to one of your other callers, they are very arrogant, and and it's it's not just sarcasm. Um, and and if and if it is, they're they're not pulling off their sarcasm. <laughs> I listened to the show. I gave it my best shot. The main reason I had to stop listening is because uh, the vegan sections would go on for just so long, uh, and and I dealt with it for quite some time. But uh, they they don't. Uh, there was one call where they they took a caller, and the caller was talking about, hey, well, you know, isn't there an ethical way? You know, I'm doing 
organic beef, paying out the ass for it, and I'm growing my own chickens and getting my own eggs, and and they just flipped on him, and 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 were very and in a very arrogant way, just shut him down and didn't want to listen to what he had to say, and certainly didn't acknowledge that yes, there is an ethical way to consume meat. Um, and as much as uh, I hate the side of a factory farm, and uh, you know many of the Gosh, you know, they don't. One one thing they don't even talk about is the deep sea uh, fishing. That you know, the pollock fishery and and the uh, and the tuna fisheries uh, and their devastation is just astonishing. Um, but you know, there is an ethical way to eat meat, and they they refuse to they refuse to acknowledge it. And and I think that's probably part of what their callers wanted to say. And and uh, hopefully I. Hopefully, I sounded a little more eloquent than the, than the anti-citizen radio folks that you have been playing. Anyway, keep it up. Keep up the work, man. Thanks. And please continue to use clips from Citizen Radio because I miss uh, I miss not listening to the whole show. Just kidding. Okay. Thanks. Hey, uh, name's Fred. Uh, I was just calling to basically say I can. Uh, I think I understand why people might be upset with Citizen Radio. Me, personally, I love Citizen Radio. It's a great show. And um, I think the reason people get upset with them is because Citizen Radio actually call you out. They actually expect things of their listeners. And there are a lot of great shows out there like Rachel Maddow, Young Turks, um, you know, all these great liberal shows. But most of those shows, they just give you the news and they tell you things you didn't know. But... At the end of the day, you know, you just sit there, you watch the show, you might get upset or something, but they don't actually tell you what to do. But Citizen Radio, they actually tell you the news that you don't know about, and then they actually call you out. They actually tell you, you know, you know, if you eat meat, you're wrong, you should be a, a vegan. You know, they actually tell you that, you know, if you support Obama doing wars that are illegal, you know, you're wrong. They just, they call people out. And I noticed that a lot of the people who were against them, they didn't have any actual facts. They were just saying, you know, they were just mad at Citizen Radio, but they didn't actually have statistics to back it up. And I think that's why, because they kind of get unsettled by the fact that they're actually being called out for being um, for being liberals who are liberal, but they don't actually um, work towards liberal values. So, you know, I like Citizen Radio. I'm glad they do what they do. We need people like them out there. So keep up the good work. I uh, look forward to more best of the left. 